welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 4th of May 2014, entitled The Believer's Relationship to the Law, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Romans chapter 7. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word as we read verses 1 through 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath no dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. When we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law... For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Father, we thank you again today, or for the time that we have had, and Lord, for the time that we still have here, to gather around your word today. And Lord, we come earnestly from the depths of our heart, praying, Lord, that you would speak to us today, that you would use your unworthy servant, that by the power of your spirit, through your word, that you would speak to every heart because, Lord, we know that you know every individual that is here. You know their hearts. You know the needs better than we know them ourselves. And so we pray, Lord, that you would take and use this time, Lord, to speak to us in a way that we would open our hearts and be receptive to that which you have for us. And we will give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, we have looked at a few things in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6 over a few sermons that we've had some other things happening in between. And of course, as we looked at those things and we, we saw this comparison that sin, having dominion over our lives on one and having that that power, that authority over our lives. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace giving us that freedom from that dominion. We saw as we began to look at chapter 7 last week, we talked about the believer's relationship to the law. And of course, we looked at a number of passages there last week as we looked at just what the Word of God tells us about God's law, trying to get God's law 
in the perspective of what it is. And we saw how good and how holy and how eternal that it is. As we begin to continue this morning in this passage, I said that as we look at this relationship between the believer and God's law, that we're going to look at it in the course of, number one, a proclamation, a statement that is made clear-cut to us here in the Word of God. And then an illustration that God uses to give us a picture of that proclamation that he's made. Following that, we see the scriptures actually take, okay, this is the statement that's made, this is how it's illustrated, but then an application of how does that apply to our lives, to you and to I. And of course, then fourthly, as we look at a confirmation of that truth that can give us confidence day by day by day. First of all, as we look into chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. He's proclaiming a truth here. And he's proclaiming it in a way that it should be a self-evident truth. Know ye not? Don't you know? I mean, this is something that ought to be already uh, genuine and real and knowledge that you have already. Don't you know, brethren? He's speaking to the Christians. He's speaking to those that have been born again. He's speaking to those, he says, for I speak to them that know the law. Now keep that in mind. I think on the one hand, he's, he's paying them a compliment here. He's speaking to those that have knowledge and respect for God's law and what God has said and what God has taught us. But may I say to you that as we keep that in mind and as we later come down to the verse 7, we see that he asks the question there, what should we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. In other words, if we're to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're to be able to come to recognize the wonderful truths that we have in him and experience that glorious grace, it's going to come. The only way we're going to recognize that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, is by God's law. The law. Now, the word that he uses here for law, he's making this statement. He's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. Matter of fact, he's not just talking about all the commandments of God. He is making a statement here that is very natural that any law, the natural laws, the local laws, national laws, Roman law, Greek law, British law, God's law. He's talking about a law that is put on the books, he says, hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. We've talked about this word dominion. In other words, this law only has a power, a force, has jurisdiction over someone as long as they live. You know that over the course of years, Many, many, many thousands of criminals have come through the justice system. 
It doesn't matter how famous that those criminals were. It doesn't matter how hideous that the sins were that they committed. It doesn't even matter how many crimes that they might have committed. They may have taken one life or they may have taken 20 lives or if they took 100 lives. Once that individual is dead, they are no longer subject to prosecution by the law, no matter what law that is. You see, the absolute longest sentence that you can give a person is life without parole. A life sentence, you can't go any longer than that. You can't say, well, this guy did something that was so bad that instead of him just being there for a lifetime, we're going to keep them there for another 20 or 30 or 50 years after he's dead or whatever. Now, we find that there are cases where that they may have consecutive life sentences. Life is the longest they can give them. But under many life sentences, it doesn't really mean life. That means they're saying life, but maybe after 10 years or 15 years or 20 years on good behavior that they can get paroled and be released from that. But they give consecutive life sentences so that genuinely that individual will have to stay incarcerated for as long as they live and have breath in their bodies. You see, law is binding only on those that are living. That's the proclamation that he is making to us here. And that's what we need to, to grasp and understand if we are going to understand our relationship as believers with the law of God that he's given to us. First of all, that law only is binding as long as we live, as long as there's life in the body. But then he goes on in the next two verses and he gives a very clear illustration of what this, okay, a law is there. Well, in this case, he's speaking of someone that gets married under the law. That contract is set there under the law. But he says, what then? He says, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. Under the law, this contract is made between these two people. But that law is only binding as long as they're both still alive. If this woman is bound by this contract to a husband and that husband dies, but he says, but if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. As long as there's life, then that law can be broken. And in this case, in this particular law that is being used here as an illustration, if they're both still alive and that is still binding, then to break it would mean to be committing adultery. But, he says, when that one dies, that contract is no longer binding upon the, on the two of them. Now, he's making his point, again, that no law has any jurisdiction over a person after they are dead. He's pointing out that marriage laws are binding only while both partners are alive. When a partner dies, the other is free from the law that until that point of death, 
it was binding upon them both. And so he's given us this proclamation telling us as believers, don't you realize, don't you know that the law has dominion over a man as long as he liveth? And then he gives this illustration that everybody would understand very simple and very clear, this law of marriage. And that that law is only binding as long as the parties are alive. But when one dies, then that law no longer is binding upon them. Okay, so he's made this proclamation and he's given us this illustration. So what does that mean? Why is he telling us this? Why is he wanting us to get this picture? Well, he goes on in verse 4 and 5. Okay, wherefore, he says, if that be the case, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to them who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Wherefore, my brethren, he's talking to them on a very personal basis here. Because of this truth, this truth that I have told you about, this truth that I have illustrated to you, what practical application does that have on your life as believers? He said, well, ye also, just like what we've just illustrated, ye also are become dead to the law. My fellow believers, just as sure as in that illustration, because of one dying, there was a loosening from that law. You also have become dead to the law. You see, the meaning when he says here that ye also are become dead, it literally, it literally means that you have been made dead to die. It's an action that's been performed upon them. Yes, you are become dead to the law. You have been made to die to the law. By whom? By God himself. By thy divine act of God. In response to what? In response to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way that you can be freed from the other is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. We saw that when we look back in, in chapter 6. He told us there beginning in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? His death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, 
that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You see, that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. The Bible is saying here that that brings death to sin because we died with him. When he died upon the cross, we died with him. Now, he's also declaring that that same death, when we died with him to sin, that dominion that we talked about in the last chapter, he's saying that we also experience death to the law simultaneously or as a consequence maybe is better. Freedom from the penalty of that law, which was death. How? He said, by the body of Christ, because of the one that suffered in your place, the one that was nailed upon that cross. He suffered the penalty on your behalf that ye should be married to another that you could be joined to another husband. We were under the dominion of that law and of that sin. But he's saying when you died with Christ, you died to that law. That law no longer can hold you responsible for the penalties that are there under it. You've now been joined to another even to him who is raised from the dead. You died to the law, but you were raised with him. You see, it's a complete new relationship. Our spiritual relationship literally changes totally and completely when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look just a few pages over in your Bible into the book of Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, notice what it says there in verses 24 to 27. He says, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I can assure you, there is absolutely no way that that relationship can describe you except through Jesus Christ and through him alone. He tells us back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and in verse 2, he says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, this relationship that he's using here to illustrate this truth 
is the relationship spiritually that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we could not have a relationship with Christ as long as we were bound by the law. And of course, we have looked at that already. We were bound by the law. We were bound by sin. But through death, when we died, that law no longer because that old man died. He died with Jesus Christ. We have been made new. We are a new man, and this new person has a new relationship because of that death that we experienced. One of the great emphasis of the entire book of Romans as you read through it is that salvation produces a total transformation. We are in totally, completely new creation. Why? He says here that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And of course, we're bringing forth some kind of fruit in our lives. When people look at us, what do they see in our lives? In Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 10, the Word of God says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Back in Galatians chapter 2, notice what he says there in verse 19 and verse 20. He says, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Why? He explains, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, through the law I'm dead to the law so that he might live unto God. You see, this totally transformed life, it has to be a transformation because that old man must die. <laughs> that old man will never, ever see heaven. That old man must literally die with Jesus Christ upon that cross so that he can live in his resurrection. He tells us here in our reading and explains to us clearly, he said there in verse 4, he talks about this thing of forth, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. We could look at many places there this morning. We find that First of all, the Bible is very clear in Galatians chapter 5. He speaks of this fruit that's being spoken of here that we might, in other words, if it weren't for this transformation, if it weren't for this taking place in our lives, we wouldn't be able to bring forth the right kind of fruit. But as a result of it, he says in Galatians 5, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. We find that 
He speaks of this and again on his way to the garden, on his way to give himself upon that cross. In Luke chapter 15, he gives us another illustration there. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You see, the Bible says that if we die that death and we are transformed and created new in Jesus Christ, he says that there is a reason behind that, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. But of course, then he compares that fruit to the flesh. In verse 5, he says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. When we were in the flesh. This literally is talking about before we died. When we were in that old man, man's unredeemed humanness, if you would. We find that here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see, we've talked about before that for an unsaved person, they can only operate in the flesh. There is no other choice. That sinful sphere of fallen mankind that we've already looked at that, that dominion, that power, and that's, that's the difference. Only grace can set us free from that. But when we are set free, the Bible says that we also are freed from that law. He says that here that he talks about those motions of sin. In other words, he's talking about the passions of sin, those sinful passions, those impulses to, to think and to do those things of the flesh those things that are naturally generated in everybody's sinful flesh. The motions of sins which were by the law. We sure, we sure are rebellious people. He's talking about those sinful passions being aroused by the law. Huh. How does that happen? Well, because of our rebellious hearts. In the flesh, when somebody says, don't do something, guess what? <laughs> You're going to want to do it all the more. <laughs> You're just going to want to prove, you can't tell me what not to do. I'll do what I want to do. And that's the natural reaction that, that will come from the flesh in every one of us, if we're honest about it. So yes, it's that. But it's also, we've already seen in verse 7, that the law brings the knowledge of that sin, so once we're told that it's wrong, then when we're still in the flesh, we're going to naturally rebel against that. 
to do what's been forbidden. Now, just like it all began as we look back in the Garden of Eden when sin first took dominion, there was only one thing that they were forbidden, and that's the one thing that they needed to rebel against in order to prove that they could do what they wanted to do. He said, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. To work in our members, literally, to operate there, to, to have that, that, that power. It's the same word that we get our word energy from. That's what he's talking about, that there were, by the law, these, these motions of sin, that, that, that by the law they did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. They had the, the power, the energy in our members, in our person in us, in our humanness, in our, as, as people. You see, in the flesh, in the old, unregenerate state, the impulses to sin, whether it's in thought or whether it's in deed and action, the being aroused to rebel against that which God's Word has taught us, it was energized in order to produce the fruit of what? Eternal spiritual death. That's what Satan wants for us. That's the consequences of sin. That's what happens in our natural selves. That's the fruit that will be produced. We could only produce sin. And of course, the wages of sin is death. And so he's giving us this proclamation here that he says, don't you realize that the law only has dominion, power, authority over a person as long as they live? I mean, you see this in, in, in marriage when a man and a woman are married. That law is only binding as, both, as long as they're both alive. And when one of them is dead, that law is no longer binding there. He says, that's exactly what's happened with you. You have become dead to the law by the body of Jesus Christ. That law no longer has the jurisdiction, the, the punishment, the consequences of that law. If it did, all of us would still be facing death. Now, we've got to recognize and understand what he's talking about here, this relationship that he's given to us. He says, but now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of light and not in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Thank God something has changed. This is what was happening in us. These passions that were there. When God told us not to do something, these things were energized within us and we were just rebelling against those things. But he says, we as believers here, we're delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held. In other words, we've been released from that law, from its penalties. 
we have died to that which had us bound. Had us bound to the point that the only fruit, the only consequence would have been eternal death. Remember, he said the law only has jurisdiction as long as you're alive. When that person dies, there's no legal liabilities. There are no penalties to bind him. As believers, we died in Christ. He paid our debt. Therefore, we were released from those liabilities and penalties that were naturally there. Now, he tells us in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Word of God says this. He says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You see, every human being that's ever lived, they were under the curse of the law. Because if we sin, in the least part, we sin in the whole. And that sin can only be rewarded with death. That's the only thing that it could possibly bring to us. But you see, that freedom from law is not the freedom to do what the law forbids. And that's where so many people say, well, you know, we're free from it. It doesn't matter anymore. That's not what the Bible is teaching us here. He's teaching us that Jesus Christ has already in him, he's paid the debt, the penalty. He took the curse that was upon us because of our failing under God's law. God hasn't changed. His law hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, we saw that that sin was just as much sin before the law was even given. The law hadn't been given when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But in their disobedience, they sinned just as surely as if they'd already had those laws engraved upon the tablets of stone. You see, anyone can sin, but the un unregenerate can only sin. Anybody here today can sin, but if you're in a lost condition, you can only sin. New birth. In Jesus Christ alone, it brings freedom for the first time to be able to do what is righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. What does he say? All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. But he has imputed his righteousness to you and I. But he goes on here to say, you know, we haven't been set free from the law just so that the law doesn't matter anymore. He says you've been set free that we should serve. The word serve there is talking about being a bond slave. We've talked about that before. His sole existence, his very purpose is to obey the will of his master. He is bound to him. There is absolutely no way for him to do anything else that we should be a bond slave. In newness 
of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now again, the oldness of the letter, this is a term that the Apostle Paul uses in speaking literally of the written law. You know, in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. If we were having to fulfill the letter of the law, then we would have no hope. But we need to serve in the newness of the spirit of Jesus Christ living within us, of him controlling our lives. You see, we've, we've seen in these past couple of chapters that the truly regenerated Christian who is justified by faith through grace, we saw how that that, that individual is, is secure for all of eternity, that they are sanctified, yes, right now in Jesus Christ already, and one day we will be sanctified holy in our bodies as well. And this term serving that keeps coming up, faithful, free, fruitful service. We're doing it because we want to, not because that we have to, as under the law, it was a necessity. Without it, the curses came. You see, one day we will see it all manifested in its complete perfection. But now the presence of Christ in our lives should be obvious if we give God his, or his law, it's, it's rightful, honored place in our lives as we see that God looks upon it, it should be of the utmost importance to us. For the very first time, as a Christian, as a believer, you can meet the demands of that law, of its righteousness. And that was God's intention that's what Jesus Christ came for. That's what the new nature is all about. That's what God's spirit living within us is all about. A new power from within and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. No longer is that bondage of the law there. No longer is that penalty of the law upon us. A greater desire than ever to genuinely live as holy and as righteous as we can, to live by God's standards that no legalist could ever know. We have a desire because of what's happened within us. Laws could be very binding. Laws could be something that in the natural brings about rebellion. But because of this newness of life that we're living in the Spirit, there should be a desire there to please God. We find that as believers, we're dead to the law's demands. We're dead to its condemnation. But as we now live in this newness of spirits, we love and we serve God's laws with a joyous heart that was impossible before. We find that the last verse of our reading here today, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. 
our relationship to the law. You see, in the unregenerate state, our relationship to the law is that we are bound by that law. We're still living in the flesh, living in, in the life that is bound by the laws of God, and therefore the wages of that sin is death. That is what true judgment will bring. Is death eternal. It's binding upon us. There's no way that we can do anything about it. We will stand before the judge one day, and that's all that an unregenerate person can face because they're still bound, not only by what the law says, but by the condemnation and the curse that it brings, but under grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he says that we're set free. We're no longer bound by that law. Why? Because we've died to it in Jesus Christ. To be married to another, Jesus Christ himself. We now are bound by a new law, a new testament. That doesn't do away. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it in the flesh. The law is very binding. It's bondage because you can try and try and try, but in the end, you keep failing. But in Jesus Christ, you're set free from that bondage. You're no longer bound to that penalty, not because of what I've done or not done, but because of what Jesus did. God's law has not changed. God was the same before he gave his law. He's the same since he gave his law. It's only by God's law that we can know and understand sin. It's only by God's law that we begin to grasp what a holy God is really like and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Thank God we're living under grace, that we have been set free from the penalty of that law. But as we live in that newness of life that is ours in Jesus Christ, we still ought to have the greatest respect for God's law and understanding it, and it should. It should show us all the more. You see, we find that in the Scriptures, when in this same letter to the church at Rome, when he was talking about where we saw that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. They said, well, does, does that mean that we ought to sin so that grace can be bigger? No. <laughs> the simple truth is, is that no matter how big your sin is, no matter how deep that it runs, grace is bigger. Grace can take care of it. And it's only by God's grace that we can be set free from that. And so when you find that People sometimes either get to the extremes of living a legalistic life that is still tied up in, in, in the law and, and bound by the law and trying to do this and not do that and do this and not do that so that they can be okay with God. We find that it's just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the New Testament. They're not, they're not living by that newness of spirit that is within, but by the letter of the law, just the words as they're printed, we can never, ever, ever accomplish that. But grace doesn't do away with God's law. 
It doesn't give us this freedom just to live and do whatever we want, that it doesn't matter anymore. It gives us a reality by grace, this relationship where that we're no longer bound by that law. We died with Jesus Christ. That law no longer has jurisdiction over us. We cannot be penalized for it. Why? Because we died with Christ. We've been married to him. He died in our place, and we're raised again in newness of life with him. So yes, by God's grace, we are a forgiven people. By God's grace, the righteousness of Christ is ours. But we ought to hold God's law in the same respect and honor that he does. We don't want to break it just because that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That spirit is within. It should make us want to please God to the utmost for who he is. Today, have you been set free from that bondage of the law? You've been set free in Jesus Christ. Oh, grasp and understand this relationship that without Jesus Christ, you're still bound by that law. The only way that you could be set free is through Jesus Christ and your faith in him. God wants you to be set free. God wants you to be married to another, to Jesus Christ himself, one day to be presented as his spotless bride. If you don't know that today, and today's the day that you can be set free. And Christians, as we try to live, we can't in the flesh ever live according to God's perfect law. But by the Spirit within, our desire should be to live without God's law, you would not be saved. Though the law was never given to save anybody, the law was never given. Nobody has ever been saved under the law. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's the same thing. You go back and you read all those Old Testament saints. It was by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. That's the only way to God's grace. It wasn't given to save. It was given to show us our need to be saved. It was given to us that we might see and know what sin is. And if you take it out of God's word, then there's no way of knowing sin. There's no way of knowing just what's right and what's wrong with God. So by God's grace, he used his law to show us what sin was so that we could realize our great need for his grace in our lives. Father, we thank you today, Lord, that as we look at this great relationship, Lord, I thank you that we can know that we've been married to another, that we, Lord, have a relationship with Jesus Christ now. God, not because your law is weak or bad, not because it doesn't matter. We're no longer bound by that law because that law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The penalty that we deserved under that law, the curse that was upon us, Lord, we were freed from because of his righteousness. So today, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to recognize, to realize, Lord, to, to glory in the fact of what you've done for us through Jesus Christ Help us to hold your law in the rightful place in our hearts. But help us, Lord. Help us not to be a people that are, are bound by things that, Lord, we know that no longer, no longer have jurisdiction over us. But help us to be a people that desire to love you and serve you and to please you by your law. Lord, we want to 
make you happy. We want to please you, while at the same time we thank you for the Christ that makes that possible. Of course, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. 